All right, I'm back from vacation and uh, refreshed, ready to take on 2022. And here's another episode of Backlash Podcast. Our guest this week is Christine Fisher. Christine um, is kind of all over the place with with fishing. She's not just a musky angler. She's not uh, just a bass angler. She primarily fishes out of a kayak, but she's got stories for days. She's very down to earth. It's a really good conversation that we have with Christine, and so it's it, it should be fun. It's not about tips, tactics, and you know side imaging, but it's um, it's just about you know the journey to uh, to becoming a I'd say to becoming a professional angler maybe, or to, you know, live the dream of, I mean, she fishes literally every day and she makes a living fishing and it's a great conversation and it's really awesome that she took some time out of her schedule to uh, talk to us. Yeah, she's definitely busy, Jeff, and she's driven. And so, you know, there are some tips in there. I mean, it might not be on catching that next muskie, but there's tips in there about how you achieve your goals as a professional angler. So it's some cool, cool information. And I think everybody's going to enjoy it. She's well-spoken and does a great job of uh, putting out there what it takes to, uh, to be that professional angler. Like you said, it's not tips and tactics on, on, you know, spots and, and all that stuff. It's tips on how to, how to fulfill your dream. You know, she had a passion and a dream to go out and catch fish on a regular basis and, and live her life being able to do that. And she's been successful and it's awesome. I mean, it's a really, it's really cool. So that's our conversation this week. Hopefully you enjoy it. I would tell you how many, you know, that we adding another female angler onto our podcast resume. I would ask you how many we've done, but I have no idea. We failed miserably the last time we talked about this. So I'm not even going to take a guess. Yeah. Let's not go there, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. We did fail. It's kind of wild, you know. If you think about this, Jeff, we're coming up on three years of podcasting. I mean, we were talking about that before we started recording. It's pretty remarkable. Um, three years have blown right by. Oh, man, so fast. Unbelievable. Quite honestly, Brad, I'm a little bit, I don't want to say I'm surprised, but I'm still blown away of the fact that we get everybody to come out every single week to listen to us. Like, that part surprises me. I would have thought... After, I want to say this is probably right around episode 150. I'm not exactly positive, but I'm thinking it's in that ballpark. I would have thought that people would have been like, yeah, these two dudes are pretty boring. (laughs) I would have thought the same, Jeff. But, you know, obviously um, our listeners have been super loyal and uh, I can't thank them enough for that. Well, I I want to say that the plus side is that we have you know, we have guests on every, almost every single week. So it's not just about us. In fact, it's not really about us at all. It's usually all about the guest. I mean, we try to give them as much, you know, room to talk and tell their story and, and, uh, you know, live out their podcast dreams or however you want to say it. And, you know, so hopefully it's because of that actually that people have stuck around. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, our guest list is quite large to say the least. From every array, you know, from the weekend warrior all the way through to the professional angler, TV host, whatever you want to say. I know you feel the same way, Jeff. We're very fortunate that uh, the guest list that we've had definitely, I think, has, uh, has made it leaps and bounds as far as uh, for our listening audience. Absolutely. So, Brad, speaking of TV audience, why don't you talk a little bit about what's going on? 
All right. So we, we have briefly touched on this. Um, I started a new endeavor and it is going to be called Mayhem's 10,000 Cast. For some of you out there that are listening, you may have found it on social media already. On Facebook, it's Mayhem's 10,000 Cast, just as the TV show will be. On Instagram, it's Mayhem 10K Casts. We've shared a couple little intro videos as well as a sneak peek to the season that we just filmed. I'm going to be putting out five episodes. It will be available on KOTV, which is through the Roku devices. And uh, shortly thereafter, I haven't totally figured out exactly when I'm going to drop it on YouTube. But uh, for those of you that don't have Roku, it will be coming to YouTube. I, I can't tell you exactly when. But uh, five episodes this year, and February 5th, this coming Saturday, at 8 a.m., it will be available on uh, the Roku device, like I said, KOTV. And, um, yeah, we're going to premiere the very first shoot. I will say this, Jeff, um, there was a huge learning curve. I have never edited TV. I've edited many short little video clips over the years whether it be advertisements or so on and so forth, the pro staff profiles that are available out on YouTube right now underneath Musky Mayhem Tackles YouTube channel. Man, when you start going and doing a half-hour TV show, it's quite the endeavor. And I had a, a huge learning curve. I had some learning curves with the video side of it. I mean, I did videos 15, 16, 17 years ago. But uh, the audio side was never like 100% crisp, but I think we got it dialed in as the season progressed, and uh, I'm really looking forward to filming this season for next year, and I'm hoping to uh, to put out 13 episodes next year. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. Brad, I told you I had to get a Roku TV just so I could play around with it, right? I got one shortly before I left for vacation just so I could watch it. Well, you know, the wild thing about the whole Roku thing, I've had a Roku for probably three, four years now, you know, and then Keys Outdoors ended up doing the KOTV on Roku devices. And once you have that Roku device, I mean, you can go, I haven't priced them for a while, Jeff, maybe you can help us with this, but I think right around 60 to 80 bucks, you can buy the cheaper Roku device that plugs into your TV, or you can actually buy TVs with, uh, the Roku platform built into them. So uh, once you have that subscription or that uh, that device, you can actually watch it on your iPad, uh, notebook, or even on your cell phone, I believe. Yeah, and you don't even have to have, I mean, it doesn't cost you anything. It's free. And by the way, Brad, I didn't buy it specifically for you. My TV in my bedroom took a crap since that's the only one that I actually watch. And I haven't sat in my living room to watch TV in I don't even know how long, but yeah, I occasionally turn it on before I go to bed. And so, uh, yeah, the old one was on the way out. I'm like, hey, I might as well get a Roku so that way I can check out Mayhem's 10,000 casts. Well, I appreciate that, Jeff. You know, we're, we're trying to pump up the whole social media side so that uh, we get in touch with everybody that potentially will want to watch. I do believe that uh, we put together a bunch of really cool episodes. There's a little bit to learn, and then there's a bunch of fish getting caught. So, Hopefully everybody enjoys it and it just keeps excelling and we will keep striving to make it better and better. And uh, hopefully everybody's uh, pleased once they watch it. And the other announcement we have is we are, let's see, from when we release this episode, we'll be like about 10 days away from 
the Milwaukee Muskie Expo, and that one is actually in West Bend, so it's more a little bit further north than Milwaukee. From what I understand, there's no mandates, there's no mask requirements, there's no nothing. I'm assuming it'll be similar to what we saw in Chicago, Brad, from what I know, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, Wisconsin's been pretty loose on all those mandates, and you know, it's always challenging the mask thing. I mean, you don't see the people's faces. It's it's really hard to understand who's who and so on and so forth. But I don't think we're going to deal with that in Milwaukee. I'm excited about that show. Wisconsin uh, is, you know, it's it's a true musky state. That's I mean, that's the state fish, and everybody seems to uh, elevate to the musky world. So I'm excited about that whole show. If you're not coming out to a show and you still want to buy gear, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com or you can go to MuskyMayhemTackle.com. Those are the two places that you can find gear if you're not coming out to shows this winter. Uh, I do want to talk about one other show quick, the Minnesota Muskie Expo. As of right now, I had talked to Paul Hartman because I'm fairly positive that Minneapolis and St. Paul both have a vaccine mandate for, like, you got to show your card or whatever to get in. From what I understand... That facility, the new facility that we're at, is a state-run facility. There are no state mandates in Minnesota, so therefore there is no vaccine mandates for the Minnesota Muskie Expo. So if you're concerned about vaccine mandates, that's not a concern as of what as of today, from what I understand. So Minnesota, you're free and clear to come to the show, regardless of vaccination status. And I don't want to get political on it. Either way, I just want people to know that that's, what's, that's what I've heard. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Jeff. Both St. Paul and Minneapolis, the mayors have put in place a a vax mandate. So if you're going into any public space, you have to have that vaccine card. The other side to that, yeah, it is a state-ran place, but it's actually not within the city limits of St. Paul or Minneapolis. So the state fairgrounds, brand new venue, new uh, location, but uh, it doesn't really run true to what's happening in downtown Minneapolis and St. Paul. Correct. Lots more parking. It should hopefully for us vendors and people attending, it should be a much, much better venue than you've ever had before. I know I didn't mind the old venue once you got into the place. It was well lit and it was fine that way, but it was a nightmare for pretty much everything else, Brad, especially if you're attending or if you're a vendor at the show, it was pretty much ridiculous. So we should have a lot of those problems solved. It should be a, this is this has been a long time coming. We should have been moved into this new venue. I believe it was in March 2020. I think we were going to change it already. Then weren't we, Brad, or not? Yeah, you're correct. So 19 would have been the last year that we were in the in the college facility there. Uh, 2020 would have been the new facility that we're going to be in this year. So basically, we haven't had a Minnesota show for three years. I mean, and. So this is going to be pretty wild. And that is, I can't remember the exact dates, Jeff. It's March. I want to say it's like the third, fourth, and fifth, fourth, fifth, sixth, something like that. Whatever that first weekend in March is. Um, I do believe we're going to probably hit, try to talk to Paul Hartman in the next week or so. So we can kind of give an update on, or maybe it'll be two weeks or whatever. Uh, so we can kind of get an update on what he's got going on in that show. What's new about the show since it's been so long since we've talked to Minnesota Muskies in person. Yeah, absolutely. I think that would be key. Um, I'm sure he can fulfill all the other questions that we might have and probably our listeners. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. You know, like I said, the Milwaukee show first, 
we're from the airing of this will be about 10 days and we're going to be showing up there excited about that and then shortly like four weeks later we're in minnesota so brad enough jaw jacking out of us i think we've done that for long enough and uh let's go dial up our conversation with christine fisher sounds good jeff all right our guest this week is christine fisher Christine, thank you for taking time out of your schedule. I know you're very, very busy. In fact, you're on the road right now traveling around because you pretty much never stop fishing. So thank you for coming on tonight. Hi, it's uh, my pleasure to be here. I'm a big fan of the, the show. I kind of listened to a little bit of what you guys have done, and I, I like the musky background to it. So uh, thank you for uh, allowing me to be a guest this evening. We definitely focus mostly on muskies. Today, that might not be 100% of our efforts because... I'll, I'll let you kind of talk about yourself, your background, kind of what got you into the musky side of things. But from what I understand, you're quite a bass angler. Uh, you could say that, yes. Although, you know, musky fishing is, is still it's my, my true passion. And, and if I'm not bass fishing, that's, if I don't have a tournament, I'm trying to musky fish. I kind of made my name for myself. I think I started off being known as, as the girl that caught all these giant pike and, and musky out of a kayak. And then I transitioned into the competitive kayak bass fishing scene. In the last five years, I've fished all the, the national kayak trails um, in the last four years full-time on the road um, fishing all the kayak bass tournaments. All right. Well, Christine, why don't you talk a little bit about what even got you started into fishing in general? You know, let's go back a little ways, and then, like I said, you can kind of transition into what got you into muskies as well, and then we'll just kind of have a conversation. You know, It'll be more of a general fishing conversation, but also it's kind of slanted towards musky fishing as well. Yeah. Um, well, if we're going to take it back, we got to take it way, way, way back. I was fortunate enough to be brought into a very fishing-oriented family. I mean, I was fishing. I've, I've, there's pictures of me as a three-year-old, you know, fishing with the little, we all had that little Snoopy rod or whatnot. And that was me, too. I mean, textbook outdoors. Uh, I was born and raised without any type of television in our house. I've never had a TV. So, you know, my brother and I were pretty much raised outdoors. We fished family walleye tournaments, and every year since I was a, just a baby, my dad would take us up to the Boundary Waters on Lake Capitogama, uh, Minnesota, and that kind of that's where I really cut my teeth fishing. Um, my first, just to give you just a little background, my, my very first, like what I would call adult purchase, I worked in, in the summers when I was like, you know, 13, 14, 15. I bought a little bass buggy for $750 and my dad said if, if my brother and I bought that, he would provide, he'd buy the motor, which is another five, 600 bucks for his little motor that went on it. So we could take that up to Minnesota. Uh, I think I was 14 when I bought that and we took that out and my dad let us fish the bay because before that we would take the paddleboard out for hours and I would take a milk jug filled with sand, use it as an anchor, paddle out to Peterson Bay and just cast daredevil spoons until I couldn't feel my arms anymore for the, the puck that roamed in the, in the cabbage tree there. I loved it. I couldn't get enough of it. And that's really never changed. Fishing's always been kind of the background for me. Right out of college, I got a job working at Shields. Y'all are in Wisconsin, so you're familiar with Shields, sporting goods, big box retailer. Uh, I worked up in the fishing and hunting department, worked as an uh, archery bow tech there for five years. That was right about that time where I had a flyer come in about a local kayak fishing tournament, and that kind of uh, that's where my love for kayak fishing was was born. I guess in the competitive aspect. The wild thing is, Christine, is that uh, I think all of us, you know, that have been really brought into this whole fishing world, it all boils down to our youth. I know for myself, I think I was six weeks old, 
when my mom and dad had me tucked under an umbrella in a boat. I mean, think about that. It's yeah, pretty yeah. wild. We don't hear a lot about that today, right? But, you know, it's the roots to what fishing really, truly is about. And I think it's so cool to think about you as a three-year-old. I've done the same thing with my daughter. I don't push her. I don't persuade her. I want her to, like, engage on her own terms. But the opportunities are always there. There's something fundamentally about we all want to fish, right? I mean, it's just... Yeah. I think we're programmed that way. We're geared that way. It's so cool to hear that that's how you kind of got started. Yeah, there's so much truth to what you said, too. I mean, you know, back in our day, and Grant, I'm not, I'm not super old, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in, you know, I'm out there a little bit. But, you know, like you said, fishing was just a huge part of life. And it, it was so much more than just fishing. I mean, it was in our blood. Love to do it. Love being outdoors. Love the connections to nature and our creation and the family time and you know just i i just feel like you know there people nowadays are just kind of getting into the sport and i was actually involved in a, in a conversation with a, a couple of heads of marketing with some of the endemic brands in the industry and they were talking about it was a very loose conversation talking about how to get more anglers in the sport and i get and they made this big topic of conversation like, you know, yeah, a lot of these anglers like coming in, they want to, they like fishing, they want to try to get photos to, so they can post it on their social media. And I remember sitting there thinking, like, kind of almost like shaking my head. And I was like, man, that's just not, that was never what it was about for me, you know, or for so many of us. Like, it's, it's really, it's really changed for so many people. And it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of sad. I think about that a lot, a little, little off tangent there, but. You know, it was never for the picture or for, for the clout or for the social media. It was just simply because we loved to fish. That's just the sport of it, just getting out there. I mean, that's what the root of it was. And I think people that were brought into it as kids, that's really at their core. It's, it's for, and it's for nothing else. You know, you would you agree with that? Absolutely. I, I, that's the roots to all of it, right? The roots to the evil, if you will. Yeah. Fishing yeah. is so, so important. I think it, you know, I always tell people, I mean, I, guiding over the years, people say, well, how do you get your kids so involved in fishing? Well, honestly, it's really truly about providing a foundation before anything. And that foundation Correct. is just going out and having fun. I mean, it's supposed to be fun. And I think a lot of times we all forget about having the fun side of this. And once you're having the fun, it elevates from there. So Absolutely. I think that that's really where it starts. Well, how, how do you convince someone that musky fishing is fun? I'm just curious. <laughs> well, there's a couple things that you can do, right? Um, you know, my <laughs> daughter, she caught two or three fish um, when she was five years old. Now, I didn't take her out there and we didn't go, you know, the eight, 10, 14 hours a day. What I did is I picked perfect times throughout the day. And, and we made it fun, you know? I mean, I've been known to stick night crawlers up my nose to keep the kids involved, you know? I mean, do oh, whatever wow. you got to do to keep those <laughs> kids involved. And, and that's the important part, right? Absolutely. I was choosy on when she was in the boat so that she could be interactive with the muskie. And, and I think that's a big part of it, for sure. Ultimately, you know, when it all comes together, it clicks. And... You know, it might just be a follow. It might be having a fish on for a little bit. But getting the kids' involvement, I think, is truly what it's really about. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree. 
when I was this little, I hated walleye fishing because I thought it was boring. They were sitting there with a rocky rig in or doing bottom bouncers or like vertical jigging, and I hated that as a kid. I was always begging my dad, like almost throwing a tantrum, like, when can we go cast? When can we go cast? When can we go cast? And I wanted to be engaged. You know, I wanted to be doing something, and I didn't care if I wasn't even catching, but just the, the act of casting and retrieving, you know, for me as a kid was a big, big reason why I, I think I kind of stayed hooked. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. It, it can be as simple as, you know, the, if you're out doing the walleye fishing, like I said, I put night crawlers up my nose or whatever, but, um, <laughs> you know, having a, a live well full of shiner minnows or, or fatheads and letting the kids sitting there with a the net doing their thing there. One thing still today, my daughter's 11 years old now. She wants to be in the boat continually. It, it's kind of funny. I see her. She just did a pro staff profile. She begged me to do it. So if you go to Muskie Mayhem Tackle's uh, YouTube channel, you can see her pro staff profile that she just did this past year. And, That's um, so cool. I'll have to check that out. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, I love it, right? But she begged me for that, so I did it. I, I'm not like trying to expose her to this whole thing, but she begged for it. But we have squirt guns in the boat, you know? We're filling them up out of the lake, and we're shooting each other with squirt guns. It's all about the fun. I, I still, everything that I think about with fishing is it boils down to the fun, and making it fun is the difference. Yeah, it's very, very true. And that's, you, 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 like you said, you kind of have to get creative with it, I guess, with the kids. And I did some guiding, gosh, years ago now, kayak guiding, and occasionally my clients would bring out their eight- or nine-year-old kids, and that was that was part of the deal. You know, I'd always throw in like a crappie aspect or a panfish aspect to make sure that they were engaged and there was some sort of something, some sort of something going on at all times. But that's a squirt guns and the, the nightcrawlers. The nose, I hadn't crossed my mind, but I will uh, have to save those for future. When you try that, make sure you take a picture and send it to me, okay? I sure will. I sure will. I'm not scared of <laughs> nightcrawlers. <laughs> yeah, the nightcrawler thing. <laughs> uh, so you grew up in Nebraska, correct? Correct. I went down, and I think I hit it really wrong. I went down the Merritt Lake Reservoir this past October. I'm, I'm going to guess that you fished there? Yep, I fished. I've caught several muskie out of Merritt. I've been there a handful of times. Merritt's about a six-hour drive from where I was, but I did. I, I went out there. I actually fished the Valentine Refuge, I mean, all the time. That was kind of my honey hole for, for trophy pike. Uh, before they killed the lakes off a few years ago. Yeah, it's a super pretty area, too. You know, the sand hills and, and all of that. Oh, but yeah. uh, we just hit it so wrong. We hit it right during turnover. It was kind of tough. We did end up getting a oh. fish. We we fished three days. Uh, and we've seen some other muskies as well. But uh, I, I definitely will go back there at some point. Yeah, I'm so assuming you fished up the, the snake or the boardman. I, I kind of hit everything, actually, Christine. Okay. I spent a lot yeah, of time trolling. <laughs> it fishes big, though. You know, that's the neat it thing does. about yeah. it. I definitely spent a lot of time trolling, and the reason I spent a lot of time trolling is knowing that uh, we we hit it wrong. I mean, we hit it right during turnover. I guess it was kind of amazing to me because that was our time, you know, in my part of the world over here in the western central Minnesota that's our turnover as well. I was thinking I'm going to go further south. It isn't going to be as big a factor, but I didn't quite realize how far west it was. I mean, we're only like six hours from uh, Denver, if I'm not mistaken, when you're on Merritt. Yep, that's, that's correct. 
so it, it was challenging for me mentally to think, okay, I'm going further south, but you know, when you start getting that elevation change, it makes a big difference on, on air temperatures and obviously the water temperature follows behind. Yep, you're, you're right. I'm sure it probably, yeah, it'd probably be pretty similar, if not even further ahead than up uh, where you're at. Yeah, absolutely. It was like almost spot on. So I wow. found that interesting. Now, I do think that they get a little bit earlier springs than we do, though. Yes, that's correct. Yep. You know, Christine, you're talking about how the other day, even this morning, I think you were in Florida. Now you're heading to Texas or you're into Texas. When do you actually make it back home? Well, to be totally transparent with you guys, I don't have an, uh, you know, uh, a home right now. I'm actually finally, just a month ago, signed a contract and I'm building a place in Tennessee that will serve as like a, a home base. But it, it's referring to my home, you know, where, where my folks live, I get back to Nebraska maybe twice a year, you know, Christmas and then maybe one sporadic right time during the, the spring or summer. I'm going to try to make it back this year to actually do some turkey hunting and maybe a little musky fishing, who knows, kind of in my favorite areas up there. But yeah, I, I don't get the chance to get home back often, but the good thing is like my love to travel so I get to see them throughout the year uh, in various locations. So I, I am pretty much i'm in a different part of the country almost weekly throughout the entire year because of the bass tournaments that you're doing i would say you know yeah probably three quarters of that yes i fish 20 is probably 25 tournaments a year but i also have a lot of other trips that you know fill up my calendar i've got you know uh different sponsor uh you know requirements and shoots i have to go go off and do i've got projects i work with some uh, tourism bureaus. I, I came up and did a highlight for uh, Marquette County and Boulder Junction, both in Wisconsin. I hope to do a couple more things with them this coming season. Uh, so I, I, I stay very, very busy, which is good and, and can be bad, but for right now it works pretty well for me. Let's dive into exactly what you're running as a rig. I know that it's a kayak, but I, if I'm not mistaken, it's a Hobie. Am I right on that, Christine? Yep. Yeah, it absolutely is. I run a Hobie Pro Angler 14, uh, the 360 version. I've got a Torquedo 1103, a little electric motor on the back that I can use uh, in, in certain tournaments and just, you know, for recreational fishing if I don't really feel like, you know, getting too much of a workout. Uh, I have two, actually have two Garmin 106SB head units with a GT56 transducer. I run LiveScope on my kayak as well. Uh, on a DIY mount off the side actually works really well and uh, it's a pretty tricked out rig it's got a lot of features on it but there's a lot of times where I take it pretty bare bones and don't use my motor or any electronics and uh, there's times and places for that stuff and there's times and places where you don't necessarily need it but I have the option so it is kind of like a little mini bass boat to be totally honest with you except I can't go 65 miles an hour Let's talk about netting. I mean, that's the one thing that I always think about on the musky side, for sure. I mean, I, I understand oh, yeah. the bat side. It's a little easier. But explain to me how you're actually netting your fish and how you manage all of that. It's pretty similar to what you would do in the in the boat side of it. You know, that's a question I get a lot from people that are wanting to kayak fish. And I did a big post, uh, a big, actually did a huge article for one of the musky magazines a few years ago. And it was pretty much titled, you know, kayak fishing isn't an excuse to skimp on your gear out of, you know, just for respect of the fish. As we know that they're susceptible to high mortality rates due to improper handling. So I recommend having a kayak that allows you to have the gear that you need 
for the safe handling catch and release of that fish. I use the Ranger big game net. It's, I mean, that thing's huge. I can curl up inside that thing, I think, four times probably. And how I store that, I, I have kind of a system. I have the, I just take the net and kind of coil the netting and coil it up under itself. And the net rests on my front hatch. Obviously, it hangs way off to the side on both ends, but it doesn't really bother me. Um, it's right there, and I have the handle fully extended. So when I hook into that fish, I am, I'm standing up as always when I'm musky fishing. I'm able to just take one hand, bend down, and grab it and tuck the long stack of the net under my arm and use the, the leverage of my H6. I usually use a pretty long rod. A lot of people think that you'd want to go shorter in a kayak. I, I don't think so at all uh, for most things that I do. You know, it, it's not easy by any means, but musky fishing isn't. With that setup, I'm able just to kind of use the, the rod and the net and, you know, guide that fish right into the net. And then it's, you know, that, that net is so big that it allows the fish to kind of hang out in the water, um, completely just chill while I get to remove the hooks quickly, set my GoPro up and get a quick photo and then let her go. Now, are you doing this standing or sitting? I'm, I'm going to assume sitting. When I get the photo, yes, I'm sitting. But every, the casting, the netting, all of that is standing. All right. So it's, I, that's what I was wondering. So like doing a figure eight, say a fish comes in, following hard, you're standing while you're doing that figure eight. You're, I mean, 100%, obviously yeah, 100%. super, super stable boat that you're in. Yeah. My, and that, that's a lot of people think that, you know, the kayak, you wouldn't have the stability to be able to do that. It, it's, it's very, very difficult to hit my kayak. There are guys that uh, I have two really good friends that are Canadians that live on Lake St. Clair and musky fish all the time. And they're in their 60s, and one of them probably 300 pounds and fishes out of a, the same kayak I do, and absolutely no issue whatsoever standing up and fishing out of that kayak. With musky fishing, it's, it's imperative to be standing, as you well know, because you miss so much. You're not able to um, really execute a good figure eight while you're sitting down. It's just, it's just you just can't. That makes perfect sense. That's that's why I asked. You know, it, it's it's pretty wild to think about. The kayaks I've been in, you wouldn't want to stand in. I no. mean, this whole world is brand new to me. Well, yeah, there's a lot of folks that when I say I'm fishing kayak tournaments, they think that we're fishing out of a, you know, a $200 Pelican or Sun Dolphin out of a box store. You know, it's, that's, that's the kayaks that we were familiar with growing up. You know, they were just sitting inside or just the real basic kayaks. And when people see our rigs, it's like, no, these, these, are, these are pretty serious and Man, they've, they've come a long ways over the last decade, even over the last five years, even. Um, it's uh, it's one of the largest seg- growing segments of the of the sport is kayak fishing, and it's, it's just crazy to see how they've evolved over the years and and really uh, been more comfortable, ergonomically friendly, more stable, has more feature rich. They're they're a really excellent platform, especially for fishing for muskie, especially on a lot of the rivers I fish. I mean, kayaks are ideal, in my opinion. I guess Moscow a jet boat. That's pretty ideal too. <laughs> I heard <Yeah>. that. <laughs> <laughs> What's that. Jet boat. Now you got Jeff's uh, yep. ears. Perked my interest. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, that's that's going to be my next purchase. I, I do. I would really, really love to have a jet boat. And when I get my build, I'm, I'm actually building a big uh, barn dominium in Tennessee. I'm, I'm going to get a jet boat probably in the next few years and um, have that at my disposal for when I want to explore some of the the rivers that I haven't been able to access via kayak just yet. 
Well, I was going to say, I mean, down there in Tennessee, you're still going to be able to get the best of both worlds. You're going to be kind of, you know, centrally located for a lot of your bass tournaments, but you'll still be able to musky fish and you won't have to probably travel too far. Uh, my favorite musky fishing in the country is in Tennessee. Um, I, I've grown, you know, I, I grew up as a, as a lake musky angler, and as you all know, that chasing lake muskie uh, is a very different ball game than, than targeting river muskie. They're a different animal entirely. They, they really they act different. They're, how you target them is different. Um, and I've really grown to love river muskie. Really grown to love it. We did some muskie fishing in Wisconsin this last fall. And don't get me wrong, I love fishing those lakes up there. It's one of my favorite parts of the country. But my heart, like, beats for river muskie really does a big lean lean river fish the tennessee area i mean if you think about it you're right in the central area to be able to travel to wherever you're traveling right now the way it sounds christine yeah it's within five or six hours of uh, you know at least at least 50 percent of my tournaments maybe 60 percent of my tournaments and i'm going to be totally honest with y'all the reason I chose the location to build is it's, it's within one hour of four of my favorite musky holes in all different directions. That's, that's why smart. I chose to build there. Yep. That, that, that's truly smart. That's for sure. I guess people don't think of Tennessee as a destination for muskies, but there definitely is some really, really incredible fishing there. But, you know, if you think about it, I mean, you're not that far away from multiple hey, other Brian. states that actually... Melt yeah, Hill. you're right yep. by Cave Run, Green River. Um, yeah, definitely Hill, have some another sleeper. Right, exactly, and yet it still helps you with your uh, bass side. I'm assuming, as far as distance. Um, oh yeah, how this, absolutely. How did this whole bass tournament series start, and how long has it been going? Um, well, kayak bass fishing tournaments have been around for about probably uh, probably eight or nine years now when they kind of really originated there are now three major national trails and it's it's grown i mean it's grown tremendously from when it started it's a lot of us so there's a lot of people that have been in the kayak fishing sport since it's in its infancy and they're just every time i, I catch up with them they're blown away at where we are now in terms of the where the prize money is the number of tournaments offered to anglers Bassmaster, which is you know a, a huge bass boat entity, you know they put on the BLE series, Bassmaster Classic. They have a college series, high school series. They came out with a kayak series just last year, so this will be their second year of doing that. So larger brands are taking notice of, of kayak fishing and its growth and its potential, and that's uh, one of three big national level series that we have offered for kayak anglers. And I fish all three of those trails. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I mean, uh, it's not something I think that the average angler is really aware about. You know, I mean, I, I've i known it I, I primarily because I've seen you on Instagram or whatever and seen that you were doing the bass side of things. But I, I guess I don't know that our average angler is even aware of all that. Probably not. Um, I know there's anglers, you know, every time we go to a lake or a big tournament on a lake, we always get a lot of people, even guys fishing in bass boats that come up and are like, oh, what, is there something going on here with all these kayaks? And they're just fascinated by what we have going on. Um, I try, I'm really trying to make a big push on my YouTube channel, doing some videos, educating people about the kayak fishing tournaments and the potential there. I recently did one that showed, um, like, you know, how, how much money you could make as a kayak angler versus a bass boat angler 
and by that's why I mean similar entry fees. So not the big, not the big professional tours like MLF or Bassmaster, but the BFLs, you know, like the semi-professional tours. And for, we actually pay out more and give more money back to the anglers and the kayak series. And our overhead is tremendously lower. If you think about it, we don't, you know, our kayaks cost, you know, you know, if you have a really nice setup, maybe five, six, seven thousand dollars, and we're not putting gas in it. You know, we do things much more cost effectively, and that puts more money in our pocket when the season's over. And the tournaments, like I said, there we've got several tournaments that pay hundred thousand dollars for a championship, or we have one that pays forty five thousand or sixty five thousand, and a lot of the opens are paying ten, eleven thousand dollars. So if your cost, you know, for the week is five, six hundred bucks. Yeah, you know, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good payday. Yeah, absolutely. That's for sure. And like you said, the costs aren't there associated with uh, the normal bass world. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah, we've actually had a lot of, uh, we have a lot of people fishing the, the, the national kayak tournaments that are ex-bass boat tournament guys, guys that have fished the Bassmaster Opens or some of the FLW stuff or grew up fishing bass boat tournaments. A lot of them now started fishing kayak tournaments and haven't looked back. It's a, it's a really tight knit community. And that's probably the reason that I'm still so active in it. Not only do I love kayak fishing because of, it, it, it's, it's the intimacy of it and you're closer to the water. It's, it's a really, really unique way to fish, but the community is just unparalleled. You know, it's, it, I don't know. There's something really special about it. And that might change as it continues to grow and the purses continue to get bigger and bigger you know, that always seems to, to you know, sometimes tarnish uh, what we had as the bigger something gets. But for right now, I mean, it's, it's such an incredible community. And everyone that is a part of the event, it, it's addicting and, and you're hooked. So I hope that if there are any listeners that y'all have that have never heard of kayak fishing tournaments or have a kayak and, you know, check them out and come and see one. If you want to sign up and fish it, just come and see what they're all about. Uh, <laughs> it's really easy to get addicted to them. Yeah, I can only imagine. So I got a question for you, Christine. Is it, are you using a paddle or are you using the um, uh, pedal drive? What, the pedal drive. That's what I was curious about. That's yep. what you're, you're, you're choosing to use at this point. Is that what most of the anglers are using in the tournament series? 99% of them, yes. Have you used it for trolling? Let's, let's shift back to muskies for a second. Have you ever done mm-hmm. it like in a trolling aspect? Um, you know, I have, so here's the thing with, with me, I've, I've got some things that I I really enjoy doing and things that I'm just, I I don't have anything against certain methods of fishing. Um, but I'm not real partial on, on live bait, like sucker rigs and trolling. For me, it's just not as, I'm not going to say it's not as, it's boring, but I just, I, I really like to cast. I like the challenge of the casting. I like to pick apart cover. I like to. Um, that's just something that I'm really partial to, but I have used my kayak to troll on St. Clair. Actually, I I did that twice, but I've also used it to kind of set up drifts on the Detroit river when the Bondi bait bite is really good. And the early spring, uh, kind of right when the season opens, that motor is really effective to uh, set up drifts on the river and float down and, you know, do some vertical jigging for those muskies when they move up in the river. Well, I'm, I'm there with you on the live bait side. It does nothing for me, but, there is something special about trolling, especially when I have different people in the boat that maybe can't cast for multiple hours in the day. And so oh, the trolling absolutely. becomes effective. But, well, when, uh, you're, when you're a guide, you, you almost have to, you almost have to troll. Um, I'm good friends with Pete Mania and, uh, 
and Rob up on uh, St. Germain. And I've had this conversation with them numerous times. And you, as you well know, there's certain days that if you're not working it effectively, effectively, you're not going to get bit. You're just not. And it, it's really hard to teach somebody how to musky fish. You know, unless you're burning blades, and even then, if, if you're not, if the blades aren't turning right, you know, you, you're not going to, you're not going to, you're going to decrease your chances. Trolling is such an effective way to break down water. And I know that on lakes like Green Bay, you know, some of those areas where those fish go out and suspend over deep water, you're, you almost be stupid not to troll on fisheries like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it there's a time and a place, right? I mean, I think, yes. honestly, all musky anglers definitely want to be the caster you know what i mean but there there's yes. always those times and places that you need to switch it up and you actually have to incorporate the trolling to to get the job done so and, mm-hmm. and that's what it's truly about but i just find it interesting i mean you think about like northern wisconsin with all the road trollers i mean a kayak might be the actual good solution maybe that's something you need to think about doing Jeff. i I wonder if it's even i partially wonder if it's legal brad i'm not positive but i wonder i mean it's not motor trolling so it's but it's also not you're not rowing it so i don't know is it is is it kind of a gray area or not well i don't think it would be because i mean it's human powered you know i think that's the bottom line for the trolling aspect of things up in northern wisconsin anyway but I don't know your law book as well as maybe you do, so I shouldn't. Oh, so is, uh, that, is that not allowed in Northern Wisconsin? You can't troll? Well, you can, but you can only troll one line per person if you're using a motor. And I think it's, oh. I think they moved it now. It's like a maximum of three per boat. But like, if you want a road troll, I have a road trolling boat. You can run three lines then because in Wisconsin, you're allowed three lines. So I don't, but I don't know if there's like anything in there that says like, if you're, you know, you have to roll or anything like that. I don't, I'm assuming Brad, like you are, that it's probably legit. That's what I would imagine, Jeff. But I mean, I, don't quote me on any of this. <laughs> I've never read the law book. So, yeah, so I they say, talk. don't go out and use your kayak uh, to troll until you, <laughs> check with, until you check with somebody that's more, <laughs> uh, more official than Brad and I. <laughs> well, as long as I do one line, I'm okay, right? Yep. Yeah. As long as you do one line, you're fine no matter what you do. Yeah, I think two lines trolling in a kayak might might get a little crazy. <laughs> I think one would probably be okay. How wide is your kayak? Thirty eight inches. Oh, that's pretty wide though. So you can it run. Is, yeah. You know, if you ran a board off one line and had a down rod, I mean, it definitely is feasible. Yeah, it's it's definitely doable. Um, definitely doable. Yeah, and actually, I might have ran too when I went out. I went out to Utah and fished. Uh, Pine Gee Reservoir. I wanted to catch tiger muskie, um, and I had a free week, so I just drove out there. And and uh, I don't know if y'all ever fish those western tigers anytime, but the lakes out there are, are extremely intimidating because there's like one contour, and there's not a lot on Google Earth imagery that helps you kind of break down the lake. And they're they're literally big sand bowls with absolutely zero structure. And so I, I trolled out there just to I trolled as I was graphing just to try to figure out you know what was going on in that lake. So, and it, actually I caught one trolling. So that kind of clued me into what those fish were doing and where they were, what they're relating to. I think if you use trolling as a tool, like you just said, I mean, you're definitely going to cut your learning curve and, you know, put some lines out, start cruising around. You have the opportunity to catch a fish while you're trolling. 
And then not only that, but you're, you're basically mapping everything out to try to figure out where you need to be. Precisely. Yeah. So Christine, I kind of want to take a little left turn. We talked a lot about tactics and whatever, but one thing you, you, you mentioned was you have certain obligations to certain sponsors and, and all that. So the one thing I know I get, and I'm sure Brad gets it is people are like, they send you Instagram messages or Facebook messages like, Hey, will you sponsor me? And I'm guessing that's probably not how you got as involved in the fishing industry as what you did. You want to talk a little bit about your obligations that you had to sponsors and maybe give somebody a a tip if they're looking to gain sponsors. I don't know if that's secret information you don't want to get out, but. Oh, no, I don't know. I was going to say, but I know blindly sending messages to companies probably isn't your best way to go about it. I would agree with that. And yeah, I, I've got no reservations. I mean, I love, I love to help people understand how to navigate this industry. I hate even using the term industry, but you know, try to make a living. I, I'm all about helping the next person trying to be successful in this. That's, that's what we're here on this earth for is to help other people out. So I'll be completely transparent and give them my best information about what I would think. And I may not have the top opinion because we live in a society where we want overnight success and overnight results. And that's not how, that's not how I do things. And that's not how I think um, going to be successful long-term in this thing. I kind of went about it. And then the way I think about it, there's a couple of different things. One, yeah, sending those blind messages out to a bunch of different companies. I don't encourage that. And also I, I've been to several of the big shows I cast over the years, Bassmaster Classic, and I've seen people, you know, I've worked at some of my sponsor booths and I've seen people come up and they say, hey, you know, um, I'm with a rod company, you know, and they'll say, hey, I, you guys sponsor me. I want to fish with your rods. And one of our guys will say, okay, well, which rods do you fish with now? Well, I don't know. Um, I, I don't fish any. I just looking for a rod sponsor. So here's what I always tell people. A sponsorship, or I like to call them partnerships, is is supposed to be designed as a mutually beneficial deal. And both anglers and companies abuse that all the time. So for an angler's perspective, if you want to work with a company, start putting out, start working your tail off and putting out good content and have have a little bit of respect for yourself. And the, the thing that I did early on is I started getting some cash offers from companies that didn't align with my core values. Uh, but they were the first cash offers that I had. And it would have been, and that was back when I'm, I was hurting for money. You know, I was really trying to make this work and I was doing all kinds of odd and jobs to be able to live full time doing this. And it was, it would have been so easy on those, but I turned them down knowing and believing in myself and my brand that a better opportunity was someone that I actually wanted to affiliate with would come along. And it, it took several years. I knew, you know, for going those initial cash deals, I believed in myself and knew that if I kept working at it, you know, I would eventually get an opportunity and doors would open. And that's exactly what happened. But it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen the first year. It didn't happen the second year. This took years of me just, just staying very true to who I am and what I want to do and not jumping at these, these big offers right away that, that didn't really sit right with me or align right with me or what I wanted for for who I was and, and what I believed in and what my brand was. And I just kept cranking out quality content. I fished every single day. I started doing little videos and I, you know, people would always tell me, well, you have to do this or put a clickbait title out there if you want to, you know, or, or look 
prettier, like when you're putting your, your fishing pictures out there. And I was like, well, that's, that's not realistic for me. I, I don't do that normally, so I'm not going to do that. Um, and it was frustrating because I, I see, you know, other, other women in the industry getting, you know, having this immediate success and getting huge followings. And for a time there, it was very discouraging for me. I was like, man, maybe I, you know, because I'm not going to do it the way everyone else says to be successful, I'm not going to make it. Uh, but I just kept hammering down and, and I stayed very true to, to who I was at my core. And I kept, I kept, uh, initially, you know, I tagged companies that I really liked if I, if I got good shots of their stuff, but I never wouldn't really ask for anybody to partner with me. And after a few years and then some, you know, I had a little bit of tournament success, slowly the right doors started opening. But I, I mean, when I'm telling you, it took years and a ton of work on my end. And I wasn't just posting on social media. I, I was a freelance writer. So when I had like in fishermen or, or a fishing tackle retailer or some of these publications reach out, even if the pay wasn't that good, you better believe that I took it. And I'd stay up late after fishing a tournament, writing articles just to get my name out there. I would try to work really hard on, on creating little short catch, catch clips and videos of me fishing um, because I wanted to prove that I had the, the mechanics and the abilities out there. You know, I just did everything I could to put stuff out there so that companies would see value in me. I didn't ever expect anyone to hand anything to me or give anything to me or, or, or sponsor me. You know, you just, you can't go out there with this expectation that you're owed anything. In my opinion, I think a lot of people go about that the entirely the wrong way. There's a difference between knowing your value and expecting the world, you know, without putting in any effort or any work. And I think if you, if you really love what you do and you love to fish, you have to work at it and it takes some sacrificing and, and it takes time, but play that long game and start tagging companies that you want to affiliate with, buy stuff, use their stuff, be familiar with their stuff, be able to be a spokesman for their stuff, and, and be as active and involved in the fishing community as you can, and, and de- in every way possible. That's kind of what I did in a nutshell, if that makes any sense. Oh, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the best answers that I've ever heard You know, on it. The reason I bring it up is because, I, I mean, there's a lot of people that would probably be envious of your position. I mean, I'm half, I'm half envious of it too. And I'm even, you know, like you said, quote unquote in the industry. And, you know, I mean, you get to kind of move around the world or the the country and you get to fish different places and you're doing obviously a lot of fishing. So the one thing we get a lot is as companies is people looking for, you know, for those, I don't want to say handouts, but they're looking for a start and they'll say, well, you sponsor my YouTube channel. Well, that's literally all they'll ask you. And then you'll say, well, can I see a link to your YouTube channel? And then you'll go there and there'll be like one video. And I'm just yep. always like, uh, I, I, much like you said, I want to see people that put their best foot forward first doing all the work because, it, it, you know, like you mentioned, it's a you ton of work. Value. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's work. You have to, you have to establish value before you go and look for sponsorship. You have to build yourself, put the content out there. And, you know, this is a, the, the sponsorship landscape is, it has evolved a lot in the last few years too. And it, it's not just tournament wins anymore. And unfortunately, a lot of the guys that could really catch them, you know, they're, they're having to, to get content, get good content out there, be a little more active on social media. And as much as I'm not a huge fan of social media, I understand that it's a necessity for right now. And I had to, you know, start doing YouTube stuff, start putting tournament recaps up and, you know, finding that healthy balance between social media and getting out on the water and doing what I love to do. And it's a, it, it's an interesting relationship there, but yeah, like you said, you can't, 
you have to have something established first. And, and for a company, you know, companies now, like, money's time for a lot of people. And we're in a very uncertain future with uh, with a lot of things, um, you know, globally. So if I were a company, I were looking to invest in somebody, I'd want to know that well, I'm, I'm making a good investment. You know what I mean? So, yeah, you've got you to gotta show your value before you expect anything. Well, I, I think it's plain and simple. The best word to say after what you just said, Christine, is amen. <laughs> I, I, I'm flabbergasted. I love it. And I feel the exact same way that you just described. And, you know, Jeff kind of followed suit with that. But, you know, the bottom line is, if you want to be an angler and you want to make it your profession, it's about hard work and it's about time. Yeah. And so without those two key ingredients, I mean, people ask all the time, how were you guys so successful with your, your tackle company? Well, the key ingredients is still hard work. Number one, it's hard work yeah. and it's quality and it's delivery. And that's the bottom line. And it's no exactly. different in the angling side of it as well. So you, you kicked it right out of the park. I mean, I'm, it's awesome to hear what you just had to say. Um, I'm glad that's a, I, I hope that that's that refreshing to people because I know it seems like that's, that that's almost like a dying trait anymore. People willing to put the work in it that hustle, that hustle and hustle. And like, we're survivors, you know, like <laughs> we're survivors. We're not, we're going to fail. We're going to get knocked down. We're going to get back up and put our best foot forward every single time in the face of any adversary that comes our way. And it's, it's never anything good. Never comes easy ever. And that you can apply that to life. That doesn't mean fishing. Like hard work will get you anything you want in this life. Amen. Again, you know, I mean, that's the one thing that I truly want to instill into my daughter is that if you're willing to work harder than everybody else, you're going to succeed. And and that yeah. means getting knocked on your butt from time to time. You're exactly right. So You have, I, to, have, I, like, have to have it. Exactly. So I, I think that's awesome. Good. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that. I think it's an important thing to talk about, and I, I, I want people to, to understand the, the truth in that, not to just not get discouraged when – you know, they're not, they're not making, making it work in the industry in the, in the first, first year or two. And, and just don't change who you are. Like, I wish I could just hammer that. There's very few people anymore on these perfect little squares are, are, are real. And I think being real and being yourself, um, it is the most valuable thing that you can do. And I, I've definitely, uh, I think that's a, my success is a testament to that. I never faltered on who I was. And it, it definitely took me a lot longer to get to where I am. But I'm here now, and the rest of the people that had that quick overnight success aren't. Yeah, it's typical, isn't it? I mean, it, it yep. truly is typical of the world that we live in. And I congratulate you 100%. I, I think it's so awesome. And then to be able to hear your story and talk about it, it, uh, it truly sheds a lot of light. Oh, I appreciate that, you guys, for sure. Well, the uh, so the old saying, you know, the cream rises to the top. It sounds like that's definitely the case with you know with what you what you did. I mean, like I said, I I know of you through uh, you know Lunge and Lures, Chris from Lunge and Lures. He'd talked about you fondly, and he said, you know, he's talked about how genuine you are and how you know straightforward you are, and uh, it obviously shines through in this in this interview. But it's also clearly helped you get to the top, and not necessarily like quickly, like you had mentioned, but eventually the right path took you there and hopefully that you know that realness that you have will keep you there longer i i certainly hope so i think 
I think it, I, you know, I always think it will. I mean, if you whatever happens, life's going to knock you down, throw you some curveballs, and in this this game, especially on the tournament scene, there's ups and downs, and you have to understand that it, you have to keep a just a very level head through all of it, and just keep hammering. You know, just keep. We're very fortunate to be given air in our lungs to breathe, and this is God's creation. We're out there fishing every day. I mean, how can we complain, even in, in some of the bad times? And uh, with that attitude and that perspective, you know, we can, uh, it, 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 life really isn't all that bad, you know? And Brad, I don't know where we go from there. That was pretty solid. <laughs> it's as solid as it gets, Jeff. I, you know, I, I'm sitting here shaking my head because I, I love everything that I just heard. It just truly blows my mind. And I know there's others out there that have that same concept, that same passion. She's living what she has for a dream, and, and that's what it's really about. Yeah, it's so true, and I hope, like I said, I hope this inspires. That's my whole goal, and this, you know, of course, I love to fish, but I think at the, the heart of what I do, more than inspiring people to, you know, get out there and get outdoors, is just really follow what they want to do in this life. I think so few of us truly get to live out what we were put on this earth to do, because a lot of things hold us back and tell us we can't or that we shouldn't or our own insecurities don't let us do that. You know, and a, a lot of people in this world tells us what we, what we should do or what success looks like. But more than anything, I really want people just to find what they love and what purpose and what their, what their gift is and be able to share that with other people, whatever, however that's manifested. You know, that's ultimately, I think, my biggest goal uh, while I'm here, and I think I'm I'm trying to be able to do that through fishing, if that and kind of make that connection, if that makes sense. Live the life that you that you really want to live, despite what anybody else says. And I think when you're doing that, you can have a, a huge impact on other people in a positive way. So let me ask you one question along the path. When you you know, I'm I'm assuming at some point you talked to your parents and you said, "Hey, this is what I want to do." Was there a concern for you or were they totally 100% behind you? That, that's one thing that's really funny about my folks. And I feel so fortunate to be to have been brought up in that family. When I told them what I wanted to do, they were 100%, not, not even remotely surprised. You know, I've gone against the grain since I was popped out of the womb. Let's be totally honest here. I've done everything in a very unorthodox fashion, but so have my mom and dad. And, and my grandparents before me. Uh, it's just kind of part of my DNA. And so they weren't even remotely surprised. They, they didn't even raise an eyebrow. And they're like, all right, that sounds great. You know, good luck. Uh, <laughs> can't wait to see what you do. You're going to knock them dead. Pretty much the sentiment that I got from them. Everybody else, though, was like, you want to do what? Um, I, I faced a lot of lot of judgment and so a little bit of, of uh, persecution. And like, no, you can't. You can't fish for a living. That's that's not that's not what you do. My, my guidance counselor would be rolling over right now if she if she knew that I was actually fishing for a living. <laughs> <laughs> I love it completely because uh, my mom and dad, my my dad especially, is ultra conservative, and he's like, "You're leaving this job to go build baits," and I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I am," and. Uh, He's, you know, he could never justify doing that in his own career. And he goes, well, what happens if you fail? And I said, well, if I fail, I'm going to be working at the gas station part-time so I don't fail, you know? Yeah, um, the failure's not an option. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, that that's the way he raised me. So why it was so troublesome for him, but it was about a security net, a false security net, yeah. if you will. Yeah. 
it doesn't work that way, unfortunately. Um, we make our own destination, and definitely it sounds like you've made yours. I, I'm super impressed. Uh, well, well, thank you. It sounds like it sounds like you did the same. So, you know, I love talking to people that are cut from the same cloth. Like I said, there's not not a whole lot of us out there, but there's there's enough that makes you feel like it's not all that lonely. So, <laughs> it's always a nice, refreshing conversation. Absolutely. Well, it's funny, Brad, because we, you know, on this podcast in the beginning, we've talked about hard work, hard work, hard work. But when we talk to successful people, that's that's like the common thing is they're literally just willing to work their butts off, you know. I don't care what it is that you do in this world. I mean, if you want to play basketball, guess what? You work harder than everybody else out there and you're going to play basketball. If you want to be the best rock crusher, guess what? You work harder than all the other rock crushers and you're the best, you know? I mean, that's the bottom yes. line. It's about time and hard work. That's all it is. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly it. The core everything, everything out there. Hard work. Brad is rock crushing. Is that is is that a, an occupation? Yeah, I was well, actually kind of curious on that too. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it wasn't the best analogy, but I've I've done some time crushing rocks, so who knows? <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> you do what you got to do, Jeff. That's right. I mean, it's no it's no different than any of us. I mean, if people so, Christine, let's talk a little bit about this. Um, I mean, everybody, everybody assumes that to be successful though, you need to have like, you know, you need to be like Brad and you sleep like two hours a day. It, you know, <laughs> what, what's the, uh, what's the normal daily routine look like for you? I mean, I, I, it might be boring to some people, but I'm successful. People have a certain routine and, and things going like everyone's assuming that you only need to get two hours of sleep, but sometimes it's better off to actually, you know, get decent rest and, and, you know, properly go through through your day, I guess I would say, for lack of a better word. Sure. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. And to be totally honest with you, that that's looked very different for me, even over the last three years. Uh, when I first started, like I said, I, I was a hustler. Even right out of college, I was working three or four jobs at a time. I did multiple odd and in things while trying to, to fish full time. I guided, I did some freelance writing and all kinds of stuff. And I didn't sleep a lot. I was always, I was moving at 150 miles an hour, 100% of the time. And what I've learned, and this could be really helpful for people that are wanting to pursue this type of lifestyle, because routine is really important, some healthy routine. And when you're living on the road, I mean, it's, you're literally submerging yourself in a world of complete and total chaos and routine is almost not an option. Um, and I still, it's, it's taken me a few years to kind of understand the benefit of of sleep and eating a little bit better and, you know, making just time, quiet time, quiet time. You know, that's for me, like making time to listen to a sermon when I'm on the road and just quiet my mind and, and get back to that connection and just hearing that good positive word, um, calling my family, calling my friends, FaceTiming a friend, just really simple habits that, that keep you connected to the people that have always been there and, and kind of make life worth living has been one of the most important things that I've learned probably much too late in my time doing this. Um, the first few years for me were, were, were a train wreck, to be honest with you. I didn't, I didn't know how to find a balance in anything. Um, but that, and like I said, um, you know, this week in particular, I fished a week in Florida that literally wrapped it up yesterday. 
spent all day on the road last night, all day on the road today. I'm just now getting an hour outside of my destination to get ready for a, a tournament on Lake Fork this coming weekend, just to leave for another tournament on Lake Murray the following week. And typically I'd want the whole week to practice, but I'm not going to do that. I, I know that my body needs rest now and I'm going to take some time, get my truck cleaned out because it looks like a tornado went through everything and my belongings. And I'm going to take a day for myself just to kind of, you know, recuperate. And that is uh, having that in mind and knowing that it's okay to slow down actually has served me better than if I would go straight to Lake Fork and start practicing and trying to figure out the pattern and get two extra days in the water. Um, I'm, I'm better mentally and physically and emotionally when I learned how to take care of myself. And I, I wasn't always really good at that. So it's a it's a learning thing, you know, and you guys probably can, can attest to this or, or add to this too when you're living this type of lifestyle. We're never, we're, we never stop learning how to do it better um, and, and learning from mistakes and what we did wrong. And, and, you know, hopefully, we hope that before we die, we, we, we kind of have it figured out halfway, right? For like 50%, we have it figured out. That's kind of the goal, I think. I'm impressed again because... I'm 51 years old and I still maybe don't have it 100% figured out. I share some <laughs> of the same thought process that you do, but for whatever reason, I'm programmed different. And a lot of times I just, I, I really, truly struggle to shut down. And so, you know, Jeff's <laughs> joke about me doing two hours of sleep a, a night. He's right. There are times when that's what I do, but there is times when, when I know that, hey, I just got to shut it down. I mean, you, you can't go and go and go. And the older I get, the the little bit more I realize that, I guess. But it, it's a struggle. I mean, it, mm -hmm. I, I've got post-it notes everywhere. Uh, got to do this, got to do that, got to do this. And my brain just never wants to shut off because I'm always thinking of the next goal. <laughs> you sound we sound like we're pretty much the same person because it's it's not natural it's not in my dna to to slow down or, or to stop thinking or stop thinking forward and that's that's so funny that you said that because yeah it's it's a it has been a like a like a chore for me to slow down and i'm still not good at it you know like i, I really i'm really not um but if you, so if you have any advice on how you've learned to try to slow down or shut your brain off. I'm still trying to get better at that. And I have to make a conscious effort because it does not come natural for me. I think uh, that's probably a common denominator with success. And unfortunately, um, I'm not saying it's a healthy way to be, but in the same <laughs> token, it, it's maybe healthy for, for the vision or the uh, goal task oriented side of our well-being. So I don't know. I, I think it's an inner battle that we all try to figure out. And Jeff's no different. I mean, look at this guy. He's a full-time electrician. He's running Team Rhino Outdoors, which, uh, I mean, it's out of control. I mean, Jeff's work right. schedule is insane. So he can say what he wants to over there. <laughs> I, I know that he's tried to be smarter, but uh, at the end of the day, um, <laughs> he's no different than we are. I've just been trying to make my minutes count more, Brad. That's all, you know, like, I don't know how to explain it, but as I get older, I need a little bit more sleep and I, so my body just needs it, you know, for one, but for two, I don't know, like sometimes I think I'm better off by being refreshed and starting over. Fortunately, like, I don't know what it is, but I can, 
I can turn it off. Like there's very few nights where I stay awake thinking of things. Occasionally there are, and then I'll like if it's too rough, I just like well forget it. I'll go out to the shop. I know last year in January my wife was she had just had um, surgery, and so it was me out in the shop. And so I was there was a night where I was out there till midnight, and I went back and I went to bed, and then I woke up at like three, and I couldn't sleep too much thinking about what to do. So I literally started my day at three. So. There are those days, but I'm trying to get a little bit better because I think as you get older, you just your body just needs it a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. And I hope that I get better at that too. Like I said, it's a huge thing for me to take like a day off when I, I think I should be pre-fishing or getting on the water um, just because I think I, you know, I know, listen to your body. Like if it needs rest, you know, I've, I've learned to not be so stubborn and, and rest. But this is just a recent discovery. So I'm by no means a like a life coach expert on this, but I have learned a few things over the course of the last six or seven years that have definitely made a little bit of an impact. Plus, Brad, I literally just had off for the last week, so I'm that's my first vacation in uh, like 20 years, I think it was, where we actually shut it down for an entire week, and so now I'm good to go. I can stay up till like two in the morning, two in the morning tonight. So if you want to do another podcast, we could. All right, let's <laughs> look get at after. that. That's, that's productive right there. <laughs> no, I'm all in, Jeff. Oh, I know so, you are. <laughs> so Christine, let me ask you this. What what did your parents do for a living? And is it because of them that you kind of have that same drive? Because I know my parents were some of the hardest working people I know. I guess the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Yeah, I, I that's for sure. Um so my uh if you can guess I come from a family of entrepreneurs. My grandpa started a uh water business and my dad Went to college to be an engineer, but ended up dropping out of college to go back and help my grandpa because the business was failing. And so he sacrificed what he, you know, originally thought he wanted to do back to help grandpa. And he's done it ever since. Uh, and my mom, my whole, I mean, my whole family works at our small family business. And my grandpa is 82 years old and he still works 40 hours a week. And grandpa, grandpa's never going to stop working. And he, he's in great shape, you know, and I, I really believe that if he stops working, he's going to die. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. He, he feels so much purpose and value and he loves going and working and, you know, he <laughs> comes home and does all grandma's list of chores that she has for him and he's happy as a clam. And uh, I grew up watching my dad work 80 hours a week and sacrificing literally everything for because the entire family my uncles my cousins were, were basically riding on my dad's shoulders and I saw that and I, so I have such a tremendous amount of respect and adoration for my for my dad and I, I saw you know what hard work what hard work does and you know kind of how how they did that and my mom's the same way you know they, they, were, they, they were built on kind of those core values of the family just a kind of a cool thing to give you an example of how I would say different my family is. Um, when I, before I was born, when my mom was pregnant with me, my mom and dad thought it'd be really cool to um, raise us on a boat and go up and down the Mississippi River and homeschool me and uh, find work along the river. And they actually were so serious about it that they bought a ton of books on what, what living on a boat looked like and they read a lot and they finally decided that they didn't know if that would be a, you know, they'd be able to make ends meet getting finding work along the river but i was like dang it how cool would i have been if i would have been raised on a boat going up and down the mississippi like think of the adventures you know <laughs> like i'm not i'm not upset how i turned out or how i was raised but i was like dang it mom and dad like y'all really could have had a cool thing there um but yeah they last minute decided that that probably wouldn't work but i mean they were very very serious about it for like 
six or seven months. Oh, that's truly awesome. But I think you're pretty cool, Christine. So I, I don't think you have to worry about that side of it. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. Um, so you mentioned you had a brother as well. Um, what is he doing today? He's working at the family business. Um, but on the side, he's uh, he's incredibly skilled working on it with his hands. I mean, he's remodeled his entire house on his own. Um, that's one thing, you know, my dad is, it's like my dad is good at literally everything out there. He's super handy. And my brother picked a lot of that up. So he's, um, I think he's looking at starting to do kind of some, some, uh, contracting work, uh, hopefully on the side. He's super talented. Um, very, very hardworking, conservative kid as well. Good head on the shoulders. So uh, I am proud of him. I, I wish he'd fish more. He was a dock boy up in Minnesota. When, he, when we were in high school, that's what he did for his summer job. He'd leave Nebraska, you know, when we left that little school in May and drive up to the resort. He was the dock boy for where I grew up fishing for, I think, four or five years. Um, every summer, he'd come up in September when school started or late August. Um, and he, my brother loves to fish. And he doesn't get to do it as much. And that's one thing I try to, you know, say, hey, you know, Bob makes time for that. It's important. You know, we, we all work really hard. And, I'd like to see him kind of get back out into doing what he loves. And I think that's really important, but we're working on it. <laughs> well, it's like I said earlier, you know, it's about building a foundation and he'll find fishing again. That's for sure. I mean, I, I truly yeah. believe once you provide that foundation to the youth, it comes full circle at some point in their life. I, I hope so. Yeah. And like I said, we were born with that. It's in our blood and, um, sometimes it, it comes and goes or our journey with fishing is, is very different from person to person. So I, I think you're absolutely, absolutely right. We all come back to it eventually. All right, Christine, great conversation tonight. I'm really glad that you took time out of your schedule to talk to us. I know you, like I said, you're driving around, you have a lot of things going on. So for you to take an hour out of your time or an hour and 10 minutes in this case, out of your time to, uh, to talk to us, we really do thank you. And if somebody's looking to, you know, follow your adventures, how do they go about doing that? So I'm fairly active on uh, uh, Instagram. It's kind of the big one that I post pretty regularly too, and that's just Midwest Fisher Gal. I do have a Facebook too. That's Christine Fisher. It's my fishing page on there. And then I started a YouTube just a couple of years ago, and I put all of my tournament recaps up there. I do a lot of fishing oriented discussions and uh, content there and i've got plenty of kayak musky stuff as well um educational and just fun musky trips so that's just uh christine fisher as well i think on the youtube side yeah i would say that you definitely have a very good amount of content on your youtube channel from what i can tell you also have a lot of success on your youtube channel and, you know, so if anybody, any of our listeners want to check some stuff out, it looked like I didn't have a complete chance to check it all out today. I was kind of getting the background. And so I did some searching around and I found some cool, uh, looks like some almost like backwater Kentucky muskies type stuff on some small rivers or whatever that I'm going to have to <laughs> dial back on. I had work I needed to get done today. But in my, in the meantime, preparing for the podcast, I checked some of that out. So I encourage all of our listeners to go, you know, check out Christine's YouTube channel check out her uh, instagram page and once again christine we just want to thank you for for coming out tonight and for all of our listeners we want to thank you all for tuning in with us every single week and we'll catch everybody with a new podcast again next wednesday thank you guys so much for having me on i, I appreciate it absolutely christine it was a blast <laughs>